All right, I want to start out this morning with a, a bunch of stories. I've got three stories to start out with. I've got stories peppered throughout this. It is one part information and a whole bunch of parts of, uh, of hopefully inspiration as we go through uh, this today. But first story is about a woman named Maria, and it's uh, written from the perspective of her employer. He wrote this. He said, every other Tuesday, Maria Lopez would come and clean my house. Maria always arrived like a bubble of energy, determined to restore order to my universe, scrubbing as though it were an act of worship. To which I say, man, she should come to my house, right? That sounds great. So as we, beca- as we became acquainted, I learned that Maria was a pastor's daughter from Peru who had no family in the U.S. I'd only been a Christ follower for just a few short years, and I so much appreciated Maria's enthusiastic faith. She prayed out out loud while she cleaned. She sang songs of praise in Spanish while she scrubbed. She literally praised Jesus everywhere she went. One Tuesday, Maria didn't show up for work. I anticipated seeing her cheery face the following day, but nobody came. When she didn't arrive the next day, I called, but nobody answered the phone. This is so unlike her, I thought. She's so reliable. There must be a good reason. On the third day, a nurse called to say that Maria was at the hospital. Alarmed, I cut some flowers and drove to Northridge Hospital to find out what was wrong. I found Maria sitting up in bed, rocking back and forth with her head encased in a heavy iron cage resting on her shoulders. Her eyes were closed and tears streamed down her face. Touching her arm gently, I handed her the flowers and she clutched them to her chest. What's that around your head, Maria, I asked. Oh, mister, she moaned, touching the iron contraption. It's the torture of Satan, she said. Puzzled, I turned to the nurse and she explained to me, it's called a halo. It's screwed and bolted directly into the skull, literally in four different places. It's not pleasant. How long do you have to wear it, I asked. Five months, my doctor said, maybe. But mister, you tell him, Maria, she no live five months with this on her head. She die. You tell him, yes? I'll talk to him, Maria. Anything else I can do for you? Yes, mister, she said. My Bible. And she pointed to the bedside table. Please, you read to me, she said. Sure, Maria. And so I opened up the Bible to John chapter 14 and started reading. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Out in the corridor, I found Maria's doctor. Why is she wearing this hideous device, I asked. Because, to put it simply, he said, if she didn't, her head would literally fall off. Maria has cancer, and her neck bones have degenerated to the point that they can no longer support the weight of her head. Can they be repaired or regenerated? He shook his head no. It means we can never, ever take it off. Maria will just have to get used to living with it. Every week when I visited, Maria asked me to pray with her and read to her from the Bible. She, she always requested the same chapter of the New Testament, John chapter 14. Weeks turned into months, and the heavy metal halo was just crippling to her. During one visit, months after being admitted to the hospital, Maria clutched my hands and whispered, God tells me it won't be long. Soon, he says, we take this off. Before I left the hospital, I stopped by the nurse's desk to ask how much longer Maria would be there. And a nurse said that they were preparing papers to release her immediately because Maria's insurance was not sufficient to keep her in the hospital much longer. That's why they were releasing her. Maria panicked when she heard from the doctor that she must leave. No, she said, you take a new x-ray. Touching the halo, she cried out, you take this torture from me. I know leave with this. There's really no point, the doctor said. Nothing has changed. 
When I returned to the hospital two days later to pick up Maria, I was surprised to find her sitting in a chair, this time beaming from ear to ear. I know leave today, she said. Why not, Maria? Have you had your x-ray? Yes, she said, but I stay until they take this off. She rolled her eyes towards the halo. Hasn't anybody told Maria what will happen if they take the halo off of her? It was my turn to panic. I can't tell her. Her despair would be overwhelming. So he cornered the doctor and said, she won't leave, doctor, until you take the halo off. What in the world are we going to do? We'll take it off, the doctor calmly replied. Well, you said that her head would literally roll off without it. Suddenly, Maria's doctor began to, da- to backpedal a little bit and act strangely. He looked left and right and then murmured in low tones, it won't roll. The x-ray we took this morning indicated that her neck bones have regenerated and fused back together. You said that was impossible. It is impossible, he said. I shook my head confused. Were the original x-rays a mistake? Not at all, the doctor said. It's right here. You can see. It's for anybody to see. So, I asked Before answering, the doctor sighed. (sighs) He said, so there are things that I, I just can't explain here. Her bones have regenerated, and they are now strong enough to hold her head. That's all I know. Doctor, I asked, is is this a miracle? (laughs) I don't know about miracles, the doctor said, but that's Maria's department. But Maria says that Jesus healed her. You hear stories like that, and I think, man, big prayers prayed to a big God sometimes have big results. I wonder what God would do with your prayers and my prayers if we learn to pray with that kind of boldness and confidence and faith, imagining that even the impossible here on earth is possible before a great, big God. You think God still answers prayer that way? Story number one. Story number two, another true story. Uh, This one from uh, Dr. Helen Rosevere, missionary to Zaire. She tells about this story that one day at at her mission station uh, that a mom died after giving birth to a premature baby. She said, we tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was in disrepair. There was nothing we could do. And so we went to the children of the the, uh, missionary station and asked these children to pray for the baby and for her little sister. One of the girls responded, Dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow it'll be too late because the baby will have died. So would you send it today? And dear Lord, would you send a doll too for her sister so she won't feel so lonely and sad? That afternoon, a large package arrived from England. The children watched eagerly as we opened it, and much to their surprise, underneath some of the clothing was a brand new hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl that had prayed so earnestly and so boldly started digging deeper, exclaiming, if God sent that, then I'm sure he sent the doll too. And she was right. The Heavenly Father knew in advance the children's sincere request and five months earlier had led a ladies group to include both of these specific items. True story. You read stories like that and you think, man, I don't know. Is it possible that God still answers prayer like that? Is it possible that a sincere and bold request like that prayed before a great big God could be answered in great big ways? Does he still answer bold prayers like that? I think he does. Story number three, true story about me this time. I remember in the uh, early to mid-90s, I, uh, I lived and worked as a missionary in St. Petersburg, Russia. And I remember uh, part of what we did is we'd go and visit some different churches, uh, 
it was always quite an experience to get anything from um, Russian Orthodox churches, which are very, 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 very uh, strict, conservative, have a, a, a unique culture, to, uh, to Russian Pentecostal churches and everywhere in between. And so we were getting exposed to that. We, were, uh, we had students that went to all of these uh, different different churches, and so we go and worship in different ones and kind of uh, go between a few different ones. And I remember one day, uh, we went to a Pentecostal church. Uh, I didn't grow up that way. It was a, a, a bit of culture shock. It was a little bit different for me, but I can remember going in as we, as me and two of my missionary friends walked in that day. We kind of walked down an aisle uh, similar to this, and, and there was uh, somebody that was in a wheelchair that was a couple rows from the front. He kind of had to walk around him to get in. As I glanced at him, it was, it was pretty clear as a guy maybe in his 20s, something like that, clearly had uh, cerebral palsy, um, and it was, yeah, I just noticed it, I guess, on the way in, and so we went on with the worship service, did our best to worship in Russian and listen to the message, and uh, as was often the case at that stage, I didn't know Russian that well, and so I just spent a lot of the message time just praying and, and just kind of talking to the Lord about different things, and as I was praying that day, and again, I don't think this had ever happened to me up until this point, but I had this unmistakable sense uh, that I needed to go and pray for this kid in the wheelchair, for this 20-year-old in the wheelchair. And, and I had the sense that I was supposed to ask God to heal him. And I thought, what in the world? This kind of pegged my weird meter. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I don't know about that, God. And I started sweating. I mean, like, literally, the whole message is going on. I'm sitting there. It's like a one-on-one -on -one conversation between me and God. And I'm, I'm sweating, and I'm just stressing. And I'm thinking, I don't want to look like an idiot. Like, what if, what if I go and pray for this guy and nothing happens? This is what's going on in my head. What if I, I mean, if I do go and pray for this kind of audacious sort of prayer, this bold kind of prayer, what are the, what are the two other guys that came with me? What are they going to think of me? What's the rest of the church going to think of me? I, and yet I couldn't shake it. I had this unmistakable sense of God just saying, you know, you need to just go and, and pray for this guy and ask that I'd heal him. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget, it was the service got done, right? It was one of those things. We picked up our coats. We picked up our Bibles and stuff. I had to walk right by the, the guy again on the way out, and I'm, I'm sweating, and I'm, my heart is pounding. And I, I can remember I go, I paused for a second, and fear got the better of me, and I walked out the door. And it was one of those things is as we're, we're taking the, uh, the metro back to our apartment, I'm hanging my head. Do you know what I mean? This is one of those, oh, like I knew God was asking me to do something. Totally blew it. But fear got the better of me that day. It's one of those things that, you know, you kind of go on. And uh, by the next day or a couple of days after, um, you're not really thinking about it that much anymore. I knew I'd blown it, but kind of just went on. It wasn't until two weeks later, exactly, uh, two, I mean, two Sundays later, that uh, it all came back to me, uh, flooding back to me when I heard that God prompted yet someone else in the church to go and pray for this guy. And he went over at the end of the service, he prayed, and the living God healed him. Literally, walk out the door kind of healed him. It was somebody, we went back, uh, I got to meet him later. I mean, it was, it was clearly the miraculous, clearly beyond what's humanly possible. Clearly, uh, my jaw was on the ground. My faith got stretched. I actually, when I heard it, I started bawling because I knew I had blown it. And, you know, it, God knows. I mean, he knew that that was part of my journey. He taught me a lot of things about what he's able to do and what he's not able to do, which is nothing. But, uh, right, I mean, but he stretched my faith. He, he taught me about boldness and courage and facing your fear in the midst of that. But I have to say, I've always sort of looked back at that moment with regret. 
just thinking, man, I mean, yeah, God did what God was gonna do, right? I mean, that was, that was not the question, but I look, at, I look back at it with regret going, man, I wish I would have had the boldness and the courage to go and pray, because wouldn't it have been amazing to have been there to see God miraculously heal, to see God answer a bold prayer like that. Well, we're on week number three of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called Bold. And it's a series all about living out a bold faith in a fearful world. And today, as you might guess, we're going to talk about praying bold prayers. And, and here's really the sermon in a sentence today, is that God answers bold prayer, right? Big prayers to a big God, he answers in big ways. It's just true, we see it over and over and over again. And so today, I, this morning, I'm really praying and hoping uh, that our boxes will get stretched a little bit, that our faith will come alive a little bit, and that we'll be challenged and encouraged to start praying with boldness and to start praying for boldness in our lives, where so that we start praying to see God's kingdom come in power, to start seeing his power displayed more and more in our lives and in our world, to see his kingdom come and his will be done in our city and in our homes and in our church. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to ask you to open them up to Acts chapter 4. You can also follow along in the Ignite Church app. We've got notes in the scripture in there if you'd rather, or you can follow along on the screen. But we're going to walk through a passage in Acts chapter 4 that talks all about um, and gives us examples of that kind of boldness of prayer. A little backstory here first on the book of Acts. The book of Acts is really the story of the early Christians. It's the story of the early church. It's a story about how Christianity, about how Christ followers went from only a handful of people to spreading throughout the entire world in a fairly short period of time. It's an amazing book. Acts chapter 1 starts out with Jesus meeting with his followers and giving them final instructions, right? Acts 1 is sort of the pivotal verse of the book where it says, man, uh, my, my spirit's going to come on you in power and you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Right? He's saying, man, I'm gonna, I've given you a message. I'm going to empower you by my spirit. I'm going to send you out to, to be my witnesses, to make Jesus known to the world, and, and it's going to go viral, right? It's going to go everywhere. You are, uh, you're going to want to buckle up. And so he says these things, and then he's taken up before them. He ascends back into heaven. And then, uh, and then the rest of the book of Acts is actually the story of how that happens. And so you get to Acts chapter 2, and just like Jesus promised, the Spirit comes on the early church in power as they're praying, by the way. He comes on in power, and what happens? Peter, he, he nudges Peter to get up. He he's proclaims the gospel. He shares to the crowd that day about Jesus. 3,000 people come to Christ in one day. Not a bad first day of the church. Not a bad church launch, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, from a handful to 3,000 in one day. That's Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3 uh, gets real interesting because uh, Peter and John are going uh, to uh, the temple to, to kind of pray and to, to, to worship and that kind of thing, to teach. And uh, on the way, they see this guy that they'd seen many times before. He was at the temple gates and he was begging. He was a crippled guy. And, uh, and he's calling out, he's calling out, would, would, you, would you help me? Alms for the poor, right? Give me some money kind of thing. And, uh, and Peter stops in just a moment, just kind of prompted by God. Uh, Peter stops, turns towards him, and he says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. And he looks at him, he says, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And God heals him. Again, the guy stands up, 
causes quite the commotion, quite the stir around the temple. And so, again, a huge crowd gathers. Peter again stands up, proclaims witnesses about Jesus, talks to the crowd about the Savior named Jesus, and a couple thousand more people end up coming to faith in Christ. It grows to 5,000 men, it says, not to mention women, children, and others. Um, Amazing story. So, I mean, it's going pretty well. Now, the problem comes uh, in that uh, this guy is going around, this crippled guy that's now standing and dancing and walking and praising God, as you can imagine, uh, is... Uh, he starts going around, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders see this, and they start getting a little jealous. They start getting a little ticked. Hey, this, this church, this, these Jesus followers are gaining so many converts, they're going to overtake us soon. And so they, they, they arrest Peter and John, and they say, no more. They threaten them. They keep him in jail overnight. They, they say, man, you don't, don't ever speak the name of Jesus again, right? That's We'll let you go, but if there's, I mean, it's sort of an or else kind of thing, but if we find you preaching and talking about Jesus again, there's going to be trouble. And so they leave uh, after spending the night in jail. They leave, and this is where we're going to pick up the story, Acts 4, 23 through 26. Now, the question is, how did they live from this point forward, right? Did they go sheepishly away? Did they go and say, okay, we're not going to talk about it anymore? This is, this is the, the, the record of this. Upon their release, this is Acts 4, verse 23. Upon their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, basically the warnings that they'd received. When they heard this, when they, the church, when they, Christ followers, heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is what they pray. Sovereign Lord. Time out for a second. What does sovereign mean? Come on. All-powerful, yeah, yep, All, can, just a big, like, his will will be done kind of thing, right? Like, he is the Lord, he's in charge of all sort of, it means literally supreme ruler, all-powerful one, that kind of thing. They said, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, which equates to what? You made what? everything, right? You made everything. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the the mouth of your servant, our father, David, who said, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Just time out for one second. Uh, So he starts out saying, sovereign Lord, you created everything. You created everything that is. Now, this is not that different than how Jesus taught them and taught us to pray. When he said, when you're, if you're going to pray, this is, this is sort of the model you're to use. You're to start out and say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed means literally holy is your name. You know what holy means? It's very, sim- very similar to sovereign, right? One who is completely set apart, one who is completely sinless, one who is completely other. He has no need of anyone or anything. He is complete in his entire being. He says, when you pray, start out praying, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. It's the same, it's, they're following the pattern that Jesus said. And Jesus teaches us to pray that way for two reasons. Number one is because it's worship. He says, when you rightly recognize who I am and proclaim that back, it's a worship. It's worship, ascribing worth back to God. But the second one is that God doesn't forget who he is and need to be reminded. You know who forgets who he is? We do. <laughs> And so Jesus sets this model up and he says, you know what? When you pray, start out by remembering who it is that you're praying to. This is the big leagues, right? 
This is the big leagues we're talking about. Holy is, you're praying before a holy and perfect and completely other God. And so this is what the disciples are praying, right? This, they're saying, sovereign Lord, you made everything that is, everything there ever will be came from your mouth and your hand. You are all powerful. It is to you we pray. Man, how our vision, how our prayers would look different if we really got that vision, wouldn't it? It's, this is the big leagues. And yet so often I think we pray such small kinds of prayers. Maybe it's because we don't really understand or think about how big and strong and powerful the God is that we are praying to. We can pray such small prayers. We pray things like, God, give us a safe trip. God, help me on this test. God, give us a good day. And those are fine prayers. I pray them as well. But I wonder if God were to answer every one of our prayers that we've prayed in the last 30 days, let's say, would the world look any different? If God were to say, yes, I'll grant anything you prayed over the, the last 30 days, how would your life look different? How would the world look different? Would it, would it be radically different? Would it be noticeably different? Like, for instance, would hunger be no more, right? Would, would, uh, would thousands of people be in the kingdom because of your prayers? Would, would, you know, would the poor be taken care of? Would uh, people that have been enslaved into human trafficking, would they be set free? Would churches be started? Would the city be impacted? Would people that are enslaved to drugs and alcoholism and all kinds of other things, would they find freedom? Or would our days just be a little more chipper? You know what I'm saying? What, what kinds of things do we really even pray? Sometimes we're praying things that like in order to get the answer to the prayer, God doesn't even have to be involved in. Like we'll pray this. And I get it. Like all of us pray this. I pray this way sometimes too, but you'll say, God be with us. You know what? He is, right? He has promised it. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know what has to happen in order for God to answer that prayer? nothing. He is. It's who he's already promised it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wonder if sometimes God isn't just saying, man, would you just, I mean, keep in mind who it is that you're praying to. You are in the big leagues. You're, you are standing before the only one that can make a difference in this world, the way we're talking about. The only one that can bring transformation. The only one that can bring freedom and healing in life. Would you pray that way? right? Would you, would you pray some big and bold prayers? Bold prayers, friends. Honor God for who he really is. The early church starts out praying, and they pray, Sovereign Lord, ruler of all, you made the heavens and the earth and everything and the sea and everything in it. Then he goes on and says, when human rulers plotted against you or act against your will, it's in vain because they have no power that is not granted to them from you. You, God, hold all powers. The point of this next section. This is the big leagues. Pray accordingly. Verse 27 goes on with this kind of theme. It says, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed. They did. Now, what are they talking about, by the way? Pontius and Pilate, yeah, what's that? Crucifixion. The crucifixion, right? They're saying Pontius, Pilate, and Herod sort of were in cahoots when they put an end to the life of Jesus. And they thought, man, surely God can do nothing. We're in charge now, right? 
That's what they're saying, but listen to this last sentence. They did, though, what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. You know, you know what he's saying? He said, even though they, they thought they were conspiring against you, and they, they thought they were trying to kill your son and your servant Jesus, that turned out to be exactly what God had planned all along. Again, it's just a picture of God's power, of his vastness, of his sovereignty, working all things out according to his good and perfect plans. Now, that's the setup, okay? That's the setup. So they say, we're praying to you, God, the sovereign one, the holy one, the perfect one, right? The one who is working everything out according to his plans, the creator of all. Now, the next two verses show what they pray. And they're really just praying two things. Listen to this. Acts 4, verse 29 says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Fascinating prayer. They pray literally two things here. The first thing they pray for is boldness to proclaim Christ, boldness to speak God's words, boldness to share their faith and to live out their faith in a hostile world. I mean, now think about this. What did we just talk about with the first three chapters in the book of Acts? Have they been living fairly boldly? Huh? You think so? Bold enough to get them arrested? Bold enough that 5,000 people have come to Christ in the previous two days? Is that, does that seem pretty bold by 21st century standards? Bold enough that, I mean, I mean jaw-dropping kinds of boldness, jaw-dropping kinds of faith. And yet, what's the one thing? They're in the big leagues. They're remembering who it is that they, they've prayed to. They've been threatened to, to no longer speak the name of Jesus. And they come before this great and powerful God. And they say, God, more than anything, here's what we're praying for. Would you give us boldness so that Christ could be known around the world? Would you give us boldness to accurately share you with others, to accurately point other people back to you. Why? Because there's nothing better, right? Because this is where life is found. They're like, it's Jesus and nothing else matters. This is the good stuff they're saying. God, more than anything else, we're praying that you would give us boldness to continue to spread your word so that lives can be changed, so that eternities will be so that our city and our region and our nation and the world will look more and more like your kingdom every day. I don't know. You've been praying that way lately? When's the last time you prayed for boldness? God, give me boldness that you may be known. Give me boldness to live for you no matter what. Give me boldness to stand for you today to love with your heart, to serve the way you'd serve, to, and to, that my words would be constantly pointing back to a, to a great Savior and a great God, saying, man, would you come in and find life? Would you come and put your hope and trust in Him? That's the first thing that they pray. Second thing that they pray is this. They pray for God to show his power, God heal, God perform miracles, signs and wonders through the name of Jesus and for the glory of Jesus so that the world will know that Jesus is alive and powerful and at work in our world. I mean, when was the last time you prayed bold prayers, like raise people from the dead kind of prayers, right? When's the last time that you had that kind of confidence as you were lifting up your prayer to God? God, would you heal somebody? Would you save? Would you do the impossible kinds of prayers? 
Some of us, I think, have given up on prayers like that. I think sometimes the longer we're in Christ, the smaller our faith becomes. When you're, when you're brand new, a brand new Christ follower, sometimes you'll pray those things. You, know, you don't even know any better. God, just heal them, right? I mean, just do it. And sometimes over time, we quit thinking that God is able to heal and we start praying more normal size prayers. Well, God, just give the doctor wisdom. Now, is that, is that, is that a fine thing to pray? Of course it is. But is, it, is God not able? Is the strong arm of the Lord too weak to be able to heal, to be able to raise the dead, to be able to fill in the blank. I mean, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And the early church here is grasping onto this with both hands and saying, God, do the impossible, <laughs> right? Would you, would you heal? Would you perform miracles? Would you make your presence known to the world? Prayer is absolutely vital to our connection with God, and it's amazingly simple. But in Acts, we're reminded that, with, that bold prayers of faith of ordinary people get answered by an extraordinary God every day. Maybe it's time that we start praying some dangerous, some bold kinds of prayers again. Erwin McManus has a great example of this kind of bold praying. I think this is great. He talks about his son going to a summer camp one time. And, uh, and because it's a Christian camp, they didn't tell ghost stories. They, they told, like, demon stories and, like, stuff like that. So his son came back completely terrified and panicked of demons and all this kind of stuff. And so he one night wakes up in a panic, sweating and everything, having nightmares about demons kind of thing. He starts yelling, Dad, Dad, Dad. And so Erwin uh, McManus comes in in the night, and, and he says, Dad, he says, I'm, I'm having these nightmares about uh, about demons, and he says this, can you pray for me? Pray that God would take away these dreams. Pray that he would, uh, that, it, that I would never be made afraid again, and that God would protect me and keep me safe from this point forward. And Erwin McManus said this, he said, no, I won't pray that. He said, here's the thing, son, I'm not gonna pray that because it is often those times when we feel afraid and alone. We don't know what to do, that we actually turn to God and we grow the most. He's like, but here's what I'll pray for you. He's like, I'm not going to pray that God keeps you safe in all situations. I'm going to pray that God makes you dangerous so that when you walk in a room, demons flee. Isn't that great? And, and his, his little son then says, well, then, Dad, pray that I'd be really dangerous, right? <laughs> That's a bold kind of prayer. I'm not going to pray just to be safe and comfy and have everything go my way. I'm going to pray that God's will would be done, that God would fill you with such power, that it would make an eternal impact in those around you. It's a bold prayer. For some of us need to learn pretty dangerous and bold kinds of prayers once again. We need to start praying those things afresh. Maybe you're in the middle of a really hard marriage and perhaps you need to start praying some bold prayers for your marriage again and for you maybe specifically. Not the kind they're like targeting, right? Like, like, like not ammo. God, and do this to them and do this to them and do this. No, maybe you need to start praying for reconciliation and for healing, for humility in your own soul and in your own heart. Maybe it's time that you start praying that God, I don't even know how it's possible, but what has been damaged is so utterly uh, beyond repair, but would you breathe life into our marriage again? Would you bring hope where there is none? Would you bring trust where, when we thought it was impossible? Maybe it's time to start praying some bold prayers for relationships. Maybe you've got kids or somebody that you're living that you're estranged with that's, that's 
that's gone far from home and it is breaking your heart and it's it's hard just to have faith enough and courage enough and boldness enough to, to start praying. But maybe, maybe you need to start praying, God, would you bring them home? Would you bring them back to you? Would you cause them to do the 180? Would you bring them to their senses? Would you help them to experience the weight and the pain sometimes of sin so that they can come back home to you, Jesus? Maybe it's time to start praying some bold prayers like that. Maybe the truth be told, you're a little sluggish in your own faith, in your own walk with Christ, and maybe it's time to start praying for God to do some heavy-duty work in your own soul. God, do what it takes to reclaim my heart. May you be the only one that is before me. Would you root out any idol, anything that rivals you in my life, God? I want to live for you and you alone. Maybe it's time to, to pray some bold prayers in that kind of way. Maybe, maybe there's an addiction in your life or in the life of somebody around you, and maybe it's, start, it's time to start praying that God would break that and bring freedom in the name of Jesus. Maybe it's time to start praying those kind of prayers that God would bring about freedom and new life. Maybe there's some, a resource challenge that's before you, and man, you are in debt up to your eyeballs and you don't know how in the world you're ever gonna get on the same path every month. It's like be, you're behind the eight ball. Maybe it's time to start praying some bold prayers to the God who owns everything, to the God who spoke and the world came into being, to the God who the Bible says owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He owns everything that is. He is not broke. Maybe it's time to start praying, God, would you provide for us miraculously? Would you would you align us with you and start and bring us out of debt miraculously? Would you, would you help us to be freed from those things that we are currently enslaved by? Now, is that gonna mean that there's gonna be some changes that need to happen in your life about how you spend? Yeah, but you know what? You start praying like that, you never know what the living God is gonna do. We've got friends that have started praying about getting out of debt, and within months, I kid you not, God has, God has opened up a way for them to be free. Is that not incredible? What if we started praying some of those bold kinds of prayers? Because when we pray big prayers to a great big God with boldness, with courage, with confidence, that he is able. As it aligns with his will, he answers in big ways. There's a, a guy by the name of Mark Batterson. I thought this is a great quote. He says this. He says, if we want to see God do crazy miracles in our lives, sometimes we need to pray crazy prayers. What kind of crazy prayers do you need to be praying these days? What kind of, what kind of big, bold prayers do you think God might be prompting you to pray? I'll tell you what, the book of Acts challenges us to be men and women who pray bold prayers to a powerful and loving God. Throughout Acts, the early believers kind of put on a clinic for praying bold prayers, and as a result, they get to see God work in big ways. This is, let's just look at how it ends, Acts 4.31. It's a little understated, but just look at this with me. The church prayed, and what happened? Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with God's spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Well, what happens? God shows up, and he answers their prayers, doesn't he? He shakes the ground, showing his power. He makes his presence known and empowers them to change the world by emboldening their faith and sending them out to reach people for Christ. 
Let me give you a quick snapshot because there's 48 different times in the book of Acts where it talks about the church praying boldly, where the church is praying. Listen to what happened. We already referenced this one, but they prayed in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came. 3,000 people came to Christ in one day. They devoted themselves to pray to prayer, it says, and thousands of more lives were changed as people embraced Christ. They prayed, and a dead woman named Tabitha rose from the dead. Right? They prayed, and people were healed. They prayed for Peter to be released from prison. This is another one of those jaw-dropping ones, right? He's chained to guards. He's in prison, and uh, an angel shows up frees him, releases him, releases the chains, and he walks out a free man. Isn't that crazy? They prayed, and God did unbelievable things. They, they prayed and laid hands on Barnabas and Saul named Paul, sent him out on the first missionary journey, and the entire world got changed because of the prayers of the church. Friends, we will see God's power like in the book of Acts when we learn to pray like they prayed in the book of Acts. Big prayers to a big God get answered in big ways. I want you to say this with me. Big prayers prayers. to a big God God. get answered answered. in little ways? No, in big ways, right? In big ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, I was thinking a couple more thoughts here and then we'll, we'll wrap up but I was thinking this week about uh, about James the brother of Jesus he's also uh, one of the apostles uh, he was his nickname in the early church was camel knees <laughs> isn't that great camel knees you know why because he spent so much time on his knees that he developed knobs knobby knees uh, from being on the dust floor or on the the stone or on the whatever praying hours and hours praying and lifting up bold and courageous prayers to God. He's the one, James is the one that said, you have not because you ask not. He's the one that ends his book, bearing his name, the book of James in the Bible, saying this. He says, if any of you, are are any of you in trouble? You should pray. Are you happy? You should pray and praise God. Are you sick? You should call the leaders of the church to come and pray with you and for you and you'll be healed. Have you sinned? You should pray and ask for forgiveness. And he ends by saying this, the prayers of a righteous man or woman are powerful and effective. The early church got this in ways that we do not. They said, what's the the problem? Are you sick? You have the ear of the great physician, the one who made you. Would you pray? Are you in financial crisis? Are you kidding me? You have the ear of the one who made everything, who owns all there is. Would you pray? Don't you understand? This is the big leagues. He says the prayers of a righteous man or woman, of a, of a man or woman that is in Christ, that your prayers are powerful beyond measure, and they are effective because God answers them. A.C. Dixon puts it this way, when we rely upon an organization, we get what an organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do, and so on. He says, I'm not trying to undervalue any of these things in their proper places, but when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. Isn't that a great quote? I don't know about you, but I, wanna, I don't want to know what what great leadership or what eloquence or what anything else can do. I want to see what the living God wants to do in my life. I want to be a part of a church 
where we pray such that we get to see what God can do in our city and in our church and in our world, in our families. Imagine what he could do and would do if you and I learned to pray with confidence and boldness like that. All right, it's getting a little late. I got one more story. You want to hear it? Or should I, should I wrap it up? One more story. It's great. It's about a guy named Bob. True story again. One man's faith. Kind of he, he learned to pray some bold prayers, and the living God really impacted a country through this. But a guy named Bob comes to Christ. Uh, he's a new believer, came from an unchurched background, so didn't really know much. And he's got this friend of his name, D- Doug Coe, that uh, starts discipling him, starts pouring into him, and one day was teaching him some of the basics about prayer. And Doug tells Bob, uh, for instance, that Jesus said, ask for whatever you, you will in my name, and it will be done for you. It will be answered. Which Jesus says, by the way, again, a jaw-dropping statement. Ask for whatever you will according to my will, right? He says, ask whatever you will and it will be answered, it will be done. Bob was amazed at this and Doug told him that he have to understand it with common sense but that Jesus is willing and ready to respond. And so Bob decided he was gonna start praying every day for a certain country in Africa. And so Doug said, all right, I'll tell you what, let's make a little wager on this. You pray for a month for this country and at the end of the month, if nothing has changed, if nothing has happened, I'll pay you $500, But, he says, if something remarkable happens at the end of that month or during that month, you pay me $500. If you don't pray every day, all bets are off, he says. And Bob agrees to this strange prayer arrangement, okay? So Bob starts praying. He's praying day after day after day. And for several weeks, nothing really was happening. One night he went to this dinner and people around the table were starting to say what they did for a living. And one of the people around the table was a woman who said she worked at a medical facility, a kind of hospital orphanage in the country of, in Africa that Bob had been praying for. Well, Bob sat up and caught his attention. He started pumping her with questions and she asked him, how come you're so interested? He told her about this strange prayer arrangement and uh, she said, you know, I don't usually do this, but would you be interested in visiting this country and, see, and meeting these folks in the hospital that I, that I work in? And Bob said yes, and so he flew over and actually toured the facility. As you might imagine, going into a third world country, into a hospital, an orphanage like that, people were desperate and they were short on supplies, short on medicines. And so Bob comes back to the U.S., wrote a few uh, uh, letters uh, to pharmaceutical companies asking for them to help over a million dollars, actually, of supplies get donated to this uh, place in Africa. Afterwards, uh, the woman who had initially invited him phoned and invited him to a big celebration they were having, and Bob went. While, there, while he was there, he met actually the president of the country. The, the, uh, the country was a very small country in Africa, and uh, this was the largest medical facility in that country at the time. And so he had heard about the story. The president shows up. Bob gets to meet him and is eventually invited to go to the capital for a tour. Isn't that cool? So Bob goes with the president of this country, tours the capital. On the way, they pass a prison facility, and Bob said, what, what's the prison for? And uh, the president said, well, there are political prisoners there, to which Bob replied, you know, that's probably not a good idea. You should let him go. They finished the tour. Bob flew back to the U.S., and a few nights later, he gets a call from the State Department at 2 a.m. in the morning. The official said, were you recently in this country? And he named the country that Bob had visited. Bob said, yes. He said, did you say something to the president of the, uh, about the political prisoners? And Bob indicated that he had. He says, well, I don't know what you said, but they've just been released. 
He said, we've been trying at the State Department for years to get these uh, political prisoners released and we have had no luck whatsoever. He said, what did you say? And Bob said, well, I kind of just said it wasn't a very good idea <laughs> to which the State Department was flabbergasted. But I'll tell you what, friends, when ordinary people trust in a big God and they start praying big prayers because they're confident that he is able to intervene and able to work. When they start praying that God's mission would go forth, that his power and presence would be made known. When they start praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be done in our world, in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, the living God works in unbelievable ways. We get to see his power. We get to see his presence. We get to see his hand work in ways that we can't even imagine. I can't explain to you exactly why, or how, but there are, I mean, millions and millions and millions and millions of examples like this. People in this room, if we had time today, could go around, we could tell you stories that would make your jaw drop, stories of ways that God has healed people, about ways that God has miraculously provided, about ways that God has, has taken people that are bound up in alcohol and addiction and sin up like you can't imagine and brought them out free and new on the other side. The living God still answers prayer like that today. Bold prayers, big prayers in a big God get answered in big ways. Want to take a gander at what the application is for the day? Would you pray for two things? Like the, like the church in Acts, would you pray for two things? Would you pray that God would give you boldness, that he would live in you and through you, that he would shine, that he would use your words in a way that draws people to Jesus, in a way that brings God's kingdom to earth? Would you pray that God would make you bold in living out your faith? And number two, would you pray the impossible kind of prayers, the big, bold prayers? Would you start, would, can we stop, I mean, spending so much of our time praying for the little things that God's already done and instead start praying for some of the things that need it? Our city, you think our city could use any prayer? You think the homelessness, the poverty, the stuff that you think, think that could use any prayer there? You think the, the 260,000 people that aren't in any, any Christian church of any kind in the Peorio metro area today think that could use any prayer? Think there's lives out there? You think there's people living in hopelessness and despair? Think that could use any prayer? There's families in here and out there that are breaking apart. You think, think we could pray any bold prayers there? Imagine what God would do. Big, bold prayers to a big God get answered in big ways. Let's pray. Father, I pray uh, just exactly what we're talking about right now. God, I pray that you would give us courage and boldness to live for you and to speak for you. God, that we would indeed be your witnesses. Would you give us boldness and teach us to be your people, God, to live uh, and shine brightly as we leave from this place today. And God, I pray as well. Father, I think of um, our church, and Lord, I pray that you would fill this place up with people that are far from you, people that need Jesus. Lord, I pray that your mission, your gospel would go forth, that lives, dozens and dozens of lives and eternities would be transformed through Ignite. I pray for the financial needs that, that are represented in here today. I pray that you would provide in jaw-dropping ways, in ways that can only lead to praise to you, God. 
I pray for health things that are going on, God, that you would uh, bring healing if that's your will, that you would, you would uh, bring a sense of your presence and your touch on, on people that need it. God, may your kingdom come and your will be done in us, we pray. In Jesus' name.